Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. It's real cash that never expires or loses value. Apply for Apple Card in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Daily cash is available via Apple Cash Card issued by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC, or as a statement credit. Terms and more at applecard.com. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. What if I told you you could get a big snack almost anywhere for less than five bucks? Let's talk 7-Eleven's $3 big meal deal with seven rewards. Big meal deal is a big bite hot dog and a large big gulp drink, and you won't find a better snack deal anywhere else. Here's what I put on my hot dog. Mustard. And that's it. That's it. I love a hot dog with mustard. Maybe if the chili, if I'm feeling it, if I'm feeling crazy, maybe a little chili, maybe a little nacho cheese, but I am a hot dog and mustard guy. But if that sounds like your kind of bite, visit 7-Eleven, valid through 1725. 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, applicable on large, big gulp only. Participating U.S. stores only. See app for full terms. All rights reserved. Hey, everybody. It's Chris Ryan. I'm about to talk to Van Lathan on the Ringer Prestige TV podcast about the season finale of Ted Lasso. Please watch this episode of Ted Lasso before you listen to the podcast. It's a spoiler conversation. Let's get into my talk with Van about Ted Lasso's season finale. Hello and welcome to the Ringer Prestige TV show. My name is Chris Ryan. I am joined by Van Lathan. We are the Greyhound Gang. Woof, woof. Woof, woof. And we are here to talk about the season finale of Ted Lasso, inverting the pyramid of success. And if you can hear that in my voice, that's because this episode was a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Van, we have so much to talk about, but I... Um, before we get into any individual scenes, let me just get get a vibe check, man. How, how did you feel about the finale? You know, you say it was a bummer. It certainly had moments that made it seem like it was a total bummer. And it ended on a bummer note. But overall, there were some small little victories in there for the Greyhound gang. Yes. Yeah, it definitely had some... I mean, it's, this show is, I would say, always going to tip the scales towards sweetness and light. I think that this episode had a lot to say about the show's identity and like what people take from it. And we can get into that when we get into the Nate stuff. I think the Nate stuff was just so bracing. It was and so in your face. It was so absolutely brutal, man. And I think that you can go back and you can rewatch this season. You could even go back and if you wanted to rewatch the entire series, knowing that that scene is going to happen and it changes a lot of what you see. And that's kind of where I wanted to start. So there's this major scene in, in the uh, the finale episode here. It's called Inverting the Pyramid of Success. Um, for those who don't know, Inverting the Pyramid is actually a beloved, I guess, famous book about soccer tactics written by a journalist named uh, Jonathan Wilson. And it's just basically about the history of like of soccer coaching and soccer tactics. But in, well, we'll get to more soccer stuff later. This episode this season pretty much comes to a culmination not with whether or not Richmond gets back into the Premier League which I think the the Hollywood and all of us knows is somewhat of a foregone conclusion that was almost an aside in the episode to be honest with that's you. what I thought was great about it it was like right. it was like the sports movie does not happen on the field it happens in the training room with with Nate and Ted and they have like a truly great TV fight you know like a truly truly great TV fight it's sort of set up when beard is encouraging Ted to talk to Nate, to go to him, to give him a 
room to apologize for leaking Ted's panic attack to Trent Krim of The Independent. Uh, we talked about all that stuff on the last episode. And I think everybody thinks that we're going to get a redux of the Rebecca, Ted, I forgive you scene from season one where, you know, being curious and allowing people to fall so that they can get back up is what gets put forward. And Nate's like, I don't need your fucking forgiveness. You know, Nate, <laughs> Nate is Nate is gone. The dark side has Nate. He's been corrupted. Yeah. This is where the Empire Strikes Back comparisons come back. What right. did you think of the scene, man? I thought it was brutally brilliant and beautiful. There's some alliteration for you guys. I yeah. went to college. <laughs> um, rarely in a scene do you have such a spectrum of emotions for one character in the scene. I went from, okay, Nate's being a dick about this, to, oh my God, I'm so sorry, Nate, to, fuck it, he's an asshole. Like, all in one scene. He, <laughs> feelings can't be wrong, but they can be misplaced. So if you feel something, it's likely that you feel it for whatever reason, you know? Uh, it's likely that it's really true that you're feeling it, should I say. But that doesn't mean that it's, that, that it's necessarily the right way that you're going about it. And I think we're seeing that being demonstrated in a really, really powerful narrative. I think that when Nate was talking to Ted, he was obviously really talking to his father. Mm-hmm. And anybody who he sees as being a sort of a proxy for his father is someone who he has to prove wrong. Someone who really he has to defeat. Ted is flabbergasted. He is completely taken aback. Whoa, what are you saying? And all he knows how to do is say, I'm sorry. And, and then once he says he's sorry in Ted Lasso's life, that's normally good enough. Not for this kid. There's too much there. He He's firmly cast you in the role of villain. And that's the role you're going to have to play. The only thing he knows how to do is beat you. I think it's interesting that you are ascribing Nate's behavior to his relationship with his father. Interesting, okay. Because I thought that this argument, in a way, could be read as a subtle indictment of lassoology, of lassoism. Let's go. I think what Nate's argument is essentially making, let's just make, be clear. My guy comes out and says, I think you're a fucking joke. Without me, we wouldn't have won a single match and they would have shipped your ass back to Kansas where you fucking belong with your son. Uh-huh. So obviously there's like elements of the father-son stuff with Nate and his dad echoing there. And I think that um, Nate needing somebody to just unconditionally love him as part of this. But you could make the argument that if lassoology is all about like be curious and if, if lassoology is all about like kindness is back and there's a degree of um, almost impulsivity with like the way in which he like brings Roy into the fold and elevates him to basically like the top assistant role and entrusts him with all this coaching responsibility that essentially like, like kindness can be zero sum. Like being kind to one person means you are taking away kindness from someone else, especially when those friendships or those relationships are taking place in a workplace and taking place in a world where like professional ambition or professional success is at stake when some guy might be like, this season, I'm really into Roy. You did your job last season, Nate, but like now I have to fix Roy and fix Roy's post-playing career. And I thought it was a really, I mean, you can tell when Nate hits Ted below the belt with the sun line, like he's just almost like, I don't even know what to say to this, you know? But I thought it was like kind of a fascinating jab to throw because 
if somebody is like, I am bestowing light onto something, there is something else is going to fall into darkness because of that. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? I do. I'm just wondering who hurt you. And if, we, if we maybe need to take a detour real quick no, 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 no. to discuss this. You have, you have a big family. You have a lot of brothers and sisters. Is this something that we can talk about right I'm now? I'm actually an only child. Oh, wow. Wow. Ooh, it explains it more. But, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but no, so I think that you're right. And I think that that indictment is more for Ted so that Ted can take a step back and have a 24-karat look at the way he does things. However, I think from my perspective as an audience member watching the show, it almost seems completely illogical that he would feel that way about Ted. And though, mm-hmm. and because it feels illogical that he would feel that way specifically about Ted, somebody who's always nurtured and supported him and elevated him, even in, this is at halftime, in a match that they're employing the strategy that Nate suggested. So Ted sees Nate the question is, is Nate being seen the way he wants to be seen? No. And so that's something that a lot of times emanates from the person. You know how you want to be seen. The easy one is this, the friend zone. Mm-hmm. We all know that you, you, there's been a girl and you loved her and you wanted her and she loved you too, just not that way, Right. If you were looking at the situation, you feel here, this is a great person that I have in my life, somebody I can talk to, somebody who's down for me, somebody who even might allow me to sleep with all of her friends. <laughs> like, oh, like all of these situations, it's actually a good deal. But because of your perspective of that relationship, it's never going to be enough. You want more. It's not that she's not giving you enough. It's that you want more. And so I think... I look at this situation with Nate a little bit like that. It's not that Ted hasn't given Nate enough. It's that Nate is looking for something more. And I think that he's looking for it because, really, of what's going on with his dad. Like, all of that stuff, man, I'm not going to go back over the whole dad thing again, but all of that stuff, I'm watching him, and my heart is breaking. I'm like, dog, I've been there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, You know what I mean? I, I, know, I know how you feel. And the shocked look on Ted's face when that is being run down to him, that's often the look that you give to, that people give to you once you unload all of these feelings on them. Then they're like, uh, my fucking bad. I had no idea. Yes. Right. And that's great. When he, when he's like, if I ever made you feel this way, I'm so sorry. And he's just like, you're full of shit. Yeah. Fuck you. Um, (laughs) there's a really interesting aspect of this also kind of, um, it's almost it acts as self critique of the show because the Ted Lasso character is is a glorified SNL idea, right? It's a glorified sketch idea. Like, Do you know, what? I don't know, I don't know as much about. Just I'm sorry not to cut you off. I don't know as much about that. Yeah, sure. I've been, I've been off SNL for a while. Like I don't. Um, well, I, I mean that as I'm, I'm kind of using that as shorthand. So the Ted Lasso character originated with Sudeikis and whoever doing a what if a Kansas football coach somehow wound up coaching in the English Premier League. And the whole joke is, like, y'all have offsides here? Like, how's that work? Oh, and I see. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. an advertising campaign for the Premier League on NBC in America. Oh, so, I and do it, remember that. Yeah, so Ted Lasso originated as, like, nothing more than the Geico caveman. You know what I mean? Like, he was a character for a commercial. Then it turns into a sitcom, and everybody's kind of skeptical about it, but then it kind of wins people over with its heart. 
But at the end of the day, if you're the Nate character, you're like, this guy still doesn't know about fucking soccer. Like he right. still doesn't understand the principles of the game or like transfer market or relegation and promotion and draws and tactics and false nines and all these things. And you're probably just like, you are a joke, man. The joke has gone on for two seasons. I actually know this sport. And obviously it's fueled by the fact that he feels like he had this access to Ted, that maybe he was on a trajectory to become the lead assistant or becoming a coach somewhere else. And Rupert came over and whispered in his ear. And you, Rupert's basically like the Emperor Palpatine here and, and Nate's Anakin. And <laughs> Jesus Christ, that is such... <laughs> So good. That's def. That's exactly what he is. But you said that, la that last scene of Rupert whispering at him. We can take over the galaxy together. Exactly. Anakin. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I just think it's like there's like a, a, a like a soft critique also of like these guys got back into the Premier League. The whole time you're probably wondering like. Ted, does Ted a great manager now? Does Ted understand soccer? And it's like, no, Nate's been doing it the entire season. And yeah, as Isaac was just chatting to us about... That's good, Isaac, by the way. Nate's increasingly dresses in black throughout the season. And it's like, and Keeley tries to put him in those different outfits. But by the end of the year, he's wearing a black suit with a black tie. And then he's got all black training kit on in the last scene. So yeah, I mean... All black training kit with gray hair. Yes. They like, like they've... like. So I'm interested in that. Is it he's got really stressed out or he's been coloring this shit but whatever they changed him Nate is by the end of it it's so sad he is aged. fully yeah. fully aged and he's in the victim role it's almost kind of like Vader because Vader went through all of that did his physical appearance had to change as well for him to fully grasp or fully take his new mantle as the Emperor's apprentice and the most evil motherfucker in the galaxy. Did the power of the Nate-Ted scene almost overshadow some of the other stuff that happened in the episode? Because quite a lot did happen. Sam, of Rebecca, course. Keely, Roy, the yeah. Richmond gets promoted, Danny conquers his penalty kick demons. Like, what Like what was something that stood out besides the Nate-Ted scene? The, one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen in a show, ever. Ever. Which is Sam turning down the job and the heel turn <laughs> by Edwin Akufu. that Edwin that Edwin does that was so fucking hysterical. That was so hysterical. What did he say? He was like, "I'm gonna buy your childhood home and take a shit." He's gonna buy your childhood home and take a shit in every single <laughs> room of your childhood home. And then when he was walking out of the door. He sees the mannequin with the Richmond kid on and he's choking it. Like he fucking was a psychopath this entire time. And he he was so nice. He was almost it was almost romantic in his courting of Sam. Like he did something you do on a ostentatious first date, which is buy out a whole museum and have yeah. Banksy there and the whole thing. The courting was very, very it was whimsical. And then the whole time. He was just another billionaire piece of shit. I thought that scene was amazing. And I can't wait for this to come out so everybody can see, so I can meme the shit out of it. <laughs> he, he, by the way, to all my Nigerian homies out there, he used all the right insults. He, <laughs> like, he called him a Nigerian piece of shit. Then he called out his tribe, the Yoruba tribe there in Nigeria. He was, it was, and there's sometimes... Ghanaian, Nigerian, they go back and forth. It was good natured at first. Yeah. And then afterwards, he took it to the limit. I thought that scene was amazing, really, seriously. Yeah, you know, it started off so well. There was like a certain amount of romance uh, to their relationship. And, and Edwin gives Sam 
a mock-up of the jersey he would be wearing for Casablanca, this gorgeous green jersey, Edwin and, and Sam would be wearing the number 10, which typically is the like most creative playmaker on the team. So like Lionel Messi wears number 10. Uh, it's like the kind of point guard, but also the, the just the most creative, expressive star player. Did Didier Drogba wear number 10? He wore number nine, which is striker. That would be Jamie Tart's number. Yeah. I love Drogba. Drogba was awesome. But uh, yeah, so and then that 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 sort of ends. What did you think of of Sam, his sort of speech to Ted and Rebecca, and then his his opening of the restaurant? Are we supposed to take from that that the reason Sam stayed isn't necessarily for Rebecca, but to like start his life in London? Uh, yeah, I think that he came to something in this whole thing that there wasn't one person worth doing anything for. Besides himself. Mm -hmm. We've seen Sam pulled in a lot of different ways throughout this. We've seen him pulled different ways by his father, obviously by Rebecca. Sam is just becoming a man. And part of him becoming a man, an adult man, is that he has to realize that he has to put things in his life around him to make him comfortable and then live his life the way he wants to. And the reality is that he might, it not, might not be time for him to go back to Nigeria or back to the continent, but it might be time to bring a little bit of the continent or Nigeria to where he is. You open up a restaurant. You don't have to go without your culture. You might not be able to be in it, but you're still of it. So wherever you are, it is. So go ahead and open up your restaurant. You know. And so what he said to Rebecca while looking at Ted was very important. Mm -hmm. It was like, hey, I made this decision. There are a lot of factors that go into it, but this is where I'm supposed to be right now. You know? And- yeah. He listened to his gut and through the conversation with the hilarious conversation with Edwin, he now is probably even more confident in himself because his gut turned out to be right. Yeah. Um, for Rebecca's purposes, obviously, Rupert's going to be back in her life on a semi-regular basis, which is not, a, not what you want for her. But, you know, she gets to actually like walk the walk. She had said that she wanted to kind of go off and find out why it was that she doesn't trust people who are trying to love her and and. You know, I think she wanted Sam back, but hasn't quite made that step yet. But she'll have an opportunity to do so. As far as Keely and Roy go, you think Juno Temple's like off the show now? What is that? <laughs> I don't know. The Keely and Roy is, to me, Keely and Roy is the only place where the show is half-stepping right now. Right. And I'm not saying that they're, I don't think they know what they want to do. Like the writers. Yeah. Well, yeah. Just period. Like, they, that's the only place where they're half-stepping. Keely and Roy, are they, aren't they? She's gone. Like, she's doing something brand new, not with the team. He's going on vacation by himself. Like, what is actually, I was actually left, which is maybe great writing. I felt much like Roy did. Like, are we breaking up? Yeah. Like, I felt much like Roy did. I'm like, ah, well, what exactly is this? Like, there's a girl, a woman in my living room right now. I walk over to her and I say, hey, would you like to go away? You know, stay two weeks at the Calamigos Ranch, which is a beautiful place. Yeah. Uh, Malibu, you've been there. You like that I have. shit. I know. I, I went there. No disrespect to Calamigos, but this is early vid. You know, like this was like, <laughs> this is last summer. Right. And I went there and like, there was just like a bunch of weddings there. And I was just oh, like. Oh, there always is. Yeah. I was like, it was early. It was early for crowd work for me. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, there always is. It's a big wedding place. But like, if I tell her, hey. Like, let's go and hang out there for a week. Sometimes we'll go out go out there and hang out for a little while. And she goes, no, we can't go. That's one thing. The worst answer you can get is, no, go by yourself. <laughs> um, 
Well, I'm not going to go if you can't go. Uh, <laughs> I think what does Roy, that mean? <laughs> Roy also with the six week vacation is a flex. Like, like, oh, that's how they do it over there, though. Well, they get the summers off, but at the same time, like going anywhere, like when you go somewhere for six weeks, that's not a vacation. That's like a part time home. Like you Look, are, bro. Like I used to get all when I was doing the uh, TMZ tour. I used to get all these people from maybe not from England, but from Australia that would come on the tour. And I would be like, hey, how long are you guys in America for? They go, oh, and they're no, like, month. Yeah. We're in Los Angeles for two more weeks. <laughs> then we go to Boston. <laughs> then we go to New York. And then we finish. But Miami, I'm like, God damn. <laughs> like, how long do y'all have off? And they're like, we get like a month of holiday and then we take it in the summer. I'm like, shit, what the hell? I like how, like, when you go, but the, the tough beat is that, like, you know, a lot of, lot of Americans have time off in August. But when you go to Europe in August, Europe is like, nah, we're, we're not home right now. <laughs> like, like, if you go to any European city in August, it's just like the cafe is open from 1.30 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. That's right. it. That's it. Um, this was an episode that was largely about mentorship, which I thought was pretty cool. Like the whole Rebecca Keeley relationship and whether or not Rebecca should be happy that Keeley is leaving and they're crying and they're like, yeah, I'm so happy for you. But then it kind of mirrored the Ted Nate thing. It kind yeah. of mirrored this idea of like, how do you cultivate somebody in a professional environment? How do you bring somebody along? And when is somebody really not disposable like that? You know, you can't really kind of just be like, your job is to be Nate. It's like, Nate wants more for himself than your idea of what Nate is. And, you know, kudos to that Rebecca character for obviously being like, I understand for you to go be what you want to be. You need to leave here. Well, Rebecca and Keely are Obi-Wan and Luke and Nate and Ted Obi-Wan and Anakin. Yeah. Sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, being a mentor is, it's a very important role and uh, that, that you play in society as you nurture someone because you have to be intent, resolute, and selfless. Mm -hmm. Because, like, yeah, if you're doing a great mentorship job, you want your mentor to outshine you. Yeah. And I think Ted didn't have a problem with Nate outshining him. He just didn't know it was a competition. Like, he did, He thought that Nate was still, you know, all in, believe. He thought he was a diamond dog. He thought he, thought he, was, he was, yeah. Even that pathetic wolf that Nate gave, that half-hearted ass wolf, that whole time, the evil is just washing across Nate's face. And Beard's passive-aggressive <laughs> sort of relationship <laughs> with Nate. Like, hey, Walsan holds up the newspaper. Did you see this? Yeah. Like, I know it was you. He might as well have given him a Michael Corleone kiss. You know what I mean? So I, I think it's all very interesting. But it also, I think one thing that the show has to do is penetrate past Ted's surface niceness and explore whether or not Ted Lasso is actually good at building and maintaining actual real relationships with people mm -hmm. that, are, that are outside of even his mentorship. Because when you look at it, he's got a life that's littered with the sort of dissolution of a lot of very important relationships to him. You know what I mean? His marriage, obviously his father abandoning him. And how does that shape his world and how he treats people? It's possible, um, and we haven't seen it yet with his son, it's possible that Ted Lasso gives you so much on the surface that people need more and they don't know how to ask for it from him. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's also possible that he gives so much on the surface that it's sometimes hard for him to have a, a there there. I thought, you know, yeah, like they, sure. that, yeah. that scene when, when Sam comes in and talks to Rebecca and Ted, he stays for the conversation between Sam and Rebecca. 
his lack of comfort in that situation is very different from his like bursting into Rebecca's office every day with a biscuit and like a one-liner. It's like when you're actually asked to do the work of being in a relationship with somebody and helping them and give them advice, it's it's a little bit more difficult. Um, let's talk a little bit about the the sports part about this. Sports. You were just you were saying like you kind of were like it hardly seemed important that they were promoted this year. I guess it's somewhat important for the long-term trajectory of the show. They're back in the Premier League. Did you have any doubts that they would get back? Did you have any doubts of how things would work out? Sports has been... The on-the-field stuff has been very much in the background this season. It has. I think the only real function that sports serves on the show is that it ties a bunch of people with diverging cultural backgrounds and stuff together. Mm-hmm. And it's just something that you can easily throw people in and say, hey, you have to make this work because results on the field or results in the office have to come. You know what I mean? They have to come. There's a goal. And a lot of times in our jobs, there's no goal. The goal is to just put stuff out there for whatever reason. But the goal here is to win. So you got to, it's like almost like a little war, a little battle. So sports keeps us all intertwined with everyone. It was the least affecting part of the show. You mm-hmm. know, It was like, Janie gives up to Danny. I actually had to remember in that moment that it was Danny that kicked the ball and killed the Greyhound. Yeah. Um, I, I actually had to pop in my mind, well, why would Jamie do that? Just kick the ball. I thought maybe Jamie was bitching out for some reason or maybe Jamie was having a, a panic attack or something. And then they were, oh, he kicked the ball and so he's trying to help him get over something. But they hadn't been loyal enough to that with Danny's character to make it into that much of a moment. I am happy that they got promoted though because I think the idea, I'm getting into soccer now because yeah. of this. I think the idea of maybe like the fucking Delaware... 86ers <laughs> being able to get to the NBA if yeah. they win the G League is fucking amazing. It's like it's <laughs> the single coolest thing that happens over there that we don't do, which is this, with the exception of the NCAA tournament, it's this idea that like you can make your way up the sort of bladder of success in English football and get into the Premier League. And if you're and that's why the Lester story is truly one of the more remarkable things that ever happened. Speaking of all the soccer stuff, I thought I would do a bit, just a little soccer decoder segment here. Okay. The most important thing I just wanted to mention is that they are clearly styling Nate after Jose Mourinho. So Jose Mourinho, for okay. people who don't know, is one of the most famous managers in English football history. He He's managed Chelsea twice and won tons of trophies with them and then had much less successful stints managing Manchester United and Tottenham. And he's been... He managed Real Madrid and Inter Milan, and now he's managing in Rome. But these are two guys. They first of all, like style wise, that's why his hair looks the way it does. Is if you do a picture side by side of Jose, what's Mourinho, the guy's name again? Jose, Jose Mourinho? Mourinho. Yeah, and Nate is being styled like Jose. Jose Mourinho gave a very famous press conference in the beginning part of his career where he said that he was a special one. And so the British press nicknamed him the special one, which is not unlike Nate being like, it's not like I'm some wonder kid and everybody being like, it's wonder kid Nate, you know? Like, ah. And also these are two guys who uh, Jose Mourinho started out, you know, he's like basically a, a prodigy when it comes to football tactics, but started out as a translator for an English manager at Barcelona. So oh, he was- this is Nate. Yeah, so he's just essentially like was working in the backroom staff for Bobby Robson at Barcelona and has since gone on to become one of the great managers, but never played, never doesn't have that like gravitas. And uh, Nate obviously worked at a lower rung part of the club and is now like kind of seen as his tactical genius as he moves on to West Ham. Uh, one thing I thought you would enjoy, Van, in Soccer Decoder is that for West Ham United, 
where Rupert has bought West Ham. The current owners of West Ham United, big softcore pornographers. <gasps> Which you, you, so you just don't hear a lot about softcore pornography anymore. So I thought I would mention David Gold and David Sullivan, uh, sort of a, a dirty empire, but they own West Ham United right now. Isaac was like, can you just buy a soccer club? It happens all the time. <laughs> where <laughs> they're European guys, obviously. Uh, British, yeah, yeah, yeah. British, and, yeah. And there's a consortium from Saudi Arabia that's trying to buy Newcastle right now. You know, like the clubs get bought and sold all the time. So this this happens, and the whole Edwin Akufu thing, where he was like flying in on his helicopter, is a sort of a nod to like how Roman Abramovich bought Chelsea. He just like flew over London in his helicopter and was like that one. And just went down and bought bought Chelsea. How many? How much does it cost to buy? Well, these like probably like NFL team. Right? So Newcastle, which is like lower table to mid table in the Premier League, like they're like among the bottom third teams. The asking price for them is three hundred mil euros. Three hundred million euros. So yeah, that's but I think be... that Manchester United, if if they were to be bought, would probably be like four or five billion euros. Four I mean, I can't even. Yeah, yeah, I can't yeah, even imagine. One of the most famous sports teams in the entire world. I I like that. I like that. Um, because it makes me more curious about... Look, I'm going to be honest with you. I love watching English football. I'm just not waking up, bro. I'm not yeah, waking up for that shit. I, know. I used to, I remember I used to try to beat the crowds to the Village Idiot when I was writing. <laughs> you, you walk in there, you just want to go in there in the morning, get some coffee and write Village, Village Idiot's this pub over on Melrose. And But when you walk in there in the morning, it's fucking packed. And they're yelling out of their bones. It's eight in the morning. Like, I know. It's crazy. People are psychos. Uh, right. Fantasy always used to make fun of me for doing stuff like that. I wanted to go through a little bit of season two stuff here. Did you have a favorite episode from this season, looking back? The finale. The finale is your favorite episode. Well, so I would say, let's take the finale out there because it's always a cop-out move when you do that. Uh, Beard. Beard's night out on the town. Mm-hmm. I love it when shows do this. See, that's these are the sitcom things that I love when they do, when they take an episode and they clearly stylize it off something else, something that we've seen, something that we know, and they send their character down this wormhole. And I thought that that was the breakthrough episode of season two for me. Yeah, I really liked season two now that it's complete. I think uh-huh. that there were moments like Carol of the Bells that felt a little like I didn't know where the show was going. But then when you get into that run of Headspace, Man City, Beard After Hours. And then I thought No Weddings and a Funeral was quite good. That was we, a great that, episode too. That was the yeah. first one we potted about. Sure. So yeah, like I think that in the moment, like there's like when Jamie comes back to the team, it feels a little bit like, well, why do you have to leave the team in the first place? Like this is just kind of like, we're just getting the band back together. But then to get all the way to the end of like with Jamie and Roy having their kind of heart to heart in this episode about Keely, And that was another real Nate, ether moment was when Roy was kind of like, you're not even worth getting upset about. Bro, let me tell you something. I've been that guy before. You've been Nate in that situation? Yeah, I've been Nate in that situation. I was a much heavier guy throughout <laughs> college and I remember there was this one girl. <laughs> you just laugh, right? Well, no, it's just like, I'm not going to make a big deal about it, but I do feel like I need to get you back for the only child laugh, so I'm getting to give right, you this laugh. Right. Like, like, I was a much heavier guy <laughs> in college, and I I would play what I was what I called the long game. Uh-huh. So I was smart and a good writer in my classes and stuff. So when you know when there were girls in there and they would struggle, hey, I'll help you out. You know, I'll, I'll come over. We can hang out, study in the dorms or whatever. The long game. Then my personality comes out. Before you know it, hey, let's go see Eric Bana as the Hulk. And then now you got a shot. 
I remember one time there was this dude, his name was Landon. He was in the fraternity. He came to his girl's room and I was in there. Like doing her homework for her or explaining like Eric Ben is the Hulk? <laughs> like like in there working. Uh-huh. Well, like we're in there working, but I'm in her room, right? Normally when you when you you do this stuff down, you've been to college, you do this, they like areas down in the dorms, you can study yeah. whatever. But I'm in her room. He walks in and he goes, Man, you got a Oh shit. What up, Van? This is Van. <laughs> I didn't even much know him like that. He just knew I was no threat. Oh, he was man. like, ah, oh, y'all must be doing some schoolwork in here or something. All right, cool, bro. That's cool, man. I see, I see you around though, bro. And I'm like, damn, this is just like no threat. Like, what he like, he not I even. I feel going. like that broke Nate. I feel like that, like, that's whatever. what happened. Like, you like you don't want to be that guy. Like, you like you, I'm just whatever, no threat. Whatever guilt he felt about leaking it to Trent Krim, Roy being like, you're you were you were so ineffectual to me that like I wouldn't even worry about the fact that you kissed my girlfriend even though I want to kill Jamie let's look at the two things in context all Jamie said was hey I still have feelings for you blah 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 I know that's a big deal because they used to be together but they're at a funeral Nate actually didn't just shoot his shot he kissed his girl yeah and by the way even the way Keely reacted it's okay it's okay it's all right cool they all treated him like he was a 13-year-old boy that had got a crush on his substitute teacher, like fucking Rushmore or something like that. Yeah. Um. So that was a shot. Everybody's testing Nate. That was a shot to his manhood or his perceived manhood. He wants to be taken seriously, and it doesn't seem like anybody does. I would just say also I would want to give just a special shout-out to Nick Muhammad, who I think had a very difficult role. You know, in the first season, he's kind of like, the secondary character who's sort of lovable, but has like a couple of ups and downs. And in the second season, I think was really on the front lines of like people being like, what's going on with this show? Like, why is Nate being a dick to Colin and Will? And when you get to the end, I thought he was extraordinary in that scene with Skeetis. He's, 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 I'm calling it right now. He's winning an Emmy. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's a joke. Yeah. I'm, he was phenomenal. I don't know how they played this or how you get an actor to this point, but even in scenes where there was no dialogue, the anguish on his face, the disdain on his face, how much he hated himself, the scene where he spit at himself in the mirror, yeah. the tears that he's conjuring. Anybody can like, you know, a movie like Mystic River, everybody's crying every five minutes, but anybody can like produce a bunch of showy tears. Not that Mystic River isn't great, but the emotion behind it, he just sold it. He was doing the like, I'm crying because I'm, I'm just angry, em- which emotional is and angry, yeah. not because I'm sad and heartbroken about this. Which yeah, is hard to which is hard to pull off for an actor. I thought he was magnificent, particularly in that scene. But really, it reminded me last- a lot of of fights when you're a kid and like you start crying and people are like, You fucking crying? And you're just like, I don't know why I'm crying. Because we're yeah, like, I can't I can't stop yeah. myself. I want to kill you. Do you yeah. understand? Like I'm not scared. I'm like, I'm like I remember wiping the tears from my eyes. Yo, I'm not scared at all. Like, I just don't know what else to do. Like, I want to kill you. Yeah, exactly. Um, anything that you hope does not make the trip to season three. So we've got a couple of major storylines. Obviously, Rupert will be back. I feel like they've arrived at a convenient way of like either off-roading Keely and Roy or having it go into the second season, a third season. I could also see Juno Temple like coming back midway through the third season. Like there's there's all sorts of things they could do. But is there anything you're like, I'm good. We've sort of covered this part. So interesting. So the Keely and Roy thing is the is the one hangnail of the season, right? It's the one thing that you just kind of just there reminding you it's there, but you kind of wish 
you'd get some kind of closure on it. Um, there seems to be at least something that almost brewed between Roy and the school teacher. Yeah, Phoebe's teacher. Yeah. Phoebe's teacher. So uh, that might be something. But really, I feel like we're in a good place for new beginnings on almost everything besides their relationship. Mm-hmm. We know that the show, um, something that you actually point out in a podcast of, of, of old was that the show doesn't have a clear villain and sitcoms normally don't. That's changed. We got two of them now. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm very excited for that dynamic. But the only thing that's kind of just out there in the ether is Roy and Keeley. And, you know, if I'm being honest with you, they fucked around with it so much that I don't know that I'm particularly invested either way. Yeah, I think they they cashed in the chip a little early and now it's kind of like, whatever, you know, like. If they'd have left that even hanging with him and Jamie, it would have been more intriguing. But I guess it wouldn't have been re- very realistic that he would be a coach and Jamie would be a team member. And that's something that they wouldn't address. But it seems like everybody's okay. It seems like Roy and Keeley are dancing around it. They don't know. Sure. They could they could be together. They could not be together. It wouldn't be, it would be all the same to me. You know, the team reacted very, you know, they were like, we're going to basically do a mole hunt. We're going to find out who leaked to Trent Krim. And and obviously Beard knows. I don't know that Rebecca obviously doesn't know yet, but she presumably will by next season. Just curious to see what other people think of what Nate did and to what extent Ted can kind of control how other people feel about that. Uh, they could sitcom it and just kind of make it all a joke or they could they could have some people be pretty upset about it. They could have some people feel different ways about it. You know, like they've they never really had Roy engage with Nate about it. He just kind of rolls his eyes every time Nate has a outburst. But I'd be kind of curious to see if everybody lets Nate just kind of get an unchecked blitz on on them, yeah. or if there's somebody who's just like, let me tell you a little bit about who you are. Then you know, yeah. And, and what happens now with West Ham and Richmond? You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Obviously, the most predictive thing right now would be that it's West Ham versus Richmond for the entire Premier League or they're, they're neck and neck or something like that happens. Is this a situation where Nate's character is some kind of way rehabilitated back into Lasso Land? Or is this the first person that Ted is not able to get through to? You know, I think that's very interesting. Depends on whether this is a three-season show or a five-season show. They're not going five seasons, man. So you think this is what, four? You think next season is the last season they said Lasso? Well, you know what? It, the four is a uh, four is a weird number for a studio to go to. I, I don't I, think that they're going to keep this going for five years. You're right. I don't think they will either. But it will be interesting. It just all depends. If they knock it out of the park, if they have a great season, they, they're not going to stop. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they're 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 not going to stop. They fucking got nominated for twenty Emmys. You know, it's the whole thing. They're not going to stop. But story wise, is there any? How much more story there is this, this entire deal? There's one. There's they they go all the way back up and win the Cinderella. Like as far as like the sports movie part of it, that's it. Them being mid table or getting relegated again is kind of that would be a different show if it's just this guy, this divorced guy Ted Lasso, like living in London. Like I don't know, but like the whole point of the show is that it's like a workplace comedy at this soccer club. So I don't at know. what point? Just one more thing. I think they could do. At what point do like the Kansas City Chiefs offer <laughs> Ted? like a head coaching gig or an OC gig or at what point 
it, does Ted's success out there. Is Ted a good f- American football coach? We don't he even was. know. He was. Remember, he, he took Wichita State. He made the Shockers. Shout out to Wichita State. He oh, made yeah. the Shockers. And remember, they went out and they won some big bowl game. I don't think they won like a... I don't think they were in a playoff or nothing. But I gotta they, go back and watch his like origin story. I can't remember if he was good or not. Well, he the, the the video they had just won a big bowl game after the dancing video went viral. So at a certain point, Ted Lasso goes over and he does something, and there's some wily owner played by Will Ferrell or or, or some guy like that that comes over and he's like, "Yo, I need to shake it up with the hire here. You can come back. You can be with your son. Basically, the same situation that Sam is in. Right, like." I'd be shocked if Ted doesn't go through that at some point. You're probably right. But I do think that there is a season three endgame and then there is like a season four or five endgame. And if it's a season three thing, then I think we'll probably have some sort of shot at redemption for Nate uh, next season. Man, it was a pleasure talking about this show with you, man. It was, man. What, like, is there more prestige TV for us to talk about in the most unironically named podcast that's out there right now. The Ringer <laughs> Prestige like exactly what it does on the package. Podcast. You, you, you know, what are you, are you looking forward to anything coming up? Uh, I'm kind of into Foundation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't been vibing with it, but yeah. Foundation is kind of cool. It's, it's, it's all right. But like... Yo, are you an Ozark fan? Fuck yeah. Let's do Ozark play, then. Don't play with me. Let's do Ozark. What? Yeah, the, Bill, yeah. Bill, let's do Ozark. Bill, Bill let's... Bill. 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 We're doing Ozark. And we're doing, but here's the only thing with Ozark, though. How are they releasing? Are they are they? It's rele- two parts, so I think they're going to go six and six, or maybe it's longer than that. But it's two. It's the season. Season four is a two parter. I think this. No, is no, season. no, no, no. What I'm asking is, are oh, they going to release? It's binge. They'll never it's binge. They're never going to go episode by episode on Netflix. On Netflix, okay. Yeah. I thought they might change it up because I think this is a better model. But whatever. Yeah. The last season of Ozark is incredible. I can't wait to, to... All right, pencil it in. Van and I will be back for Ozark. Hopefully, Isaac Lee will be back with us to talk about Ozark. I don't even know if he's ever seen it. It was a pleasure doing this pod. Keep listening to the Ringer Prestige TV pod. You can check out Van on Higher Learning and on Midnight Boys. You can check me out on The Watch and The Answer and lots of times on The Rewatchables. We did The Departed, which Van does not like as much as The Town. Yeah. We are out of here. <laughs> woof, woof. Woof, woof. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.